Well, good evening and welcome to tonight's service. I trust that your week has started on a good note. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today as we come before your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will be the master teacher orchestrator. Speak through my mind, think through my thoughts. May I articulate clearly what you want me to say, dear Father. May your word come forth with precision and accuracy. May it come unhindered and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I thank you that this word is sown on good ground. I thank you that your word will be a blessing to your people and to anybody else hearing this message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So far in part two of the kingdom is present with us. We have looked at six sets of parables from Matthew chapter 13. And tonight will be the seventh. Um, if you do remember, uh, we've broken down understanding the kingdom of God from parables and parts. In part one, we did the kingdom takes roots. And under part one, the kingdom takes roots. We did a set of nine parables. Now we are on part two. Part two is the kingdom is present with us. And tonight will be our seventh parable. In fact, let me go on to say part two, the kingdom is present with us. We are going to be doing a set of 11 parables. So today will be the seventh parable. And then we have four more. And then we'll round up part two. But so far, the six that we've done so far, and what we will do tonight, which will be seven, the seventh parable, are all from Matthew chapter 13. Amen. So we've looked at so far, number one, the parable of the tares and wheat from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Number two, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 32. We've looked at the parable of the yeast, which was the third one from Matthew chapter chapter 13, verse 33. I think that really blessed me, the parable of the yeast. Then, if you do remember, we did a two-in-one. We looked at two parables in one sitting. So that's the parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And then last week, we did what was called the parable of the dragnets or the parable of the fishing nets from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 to 50. So the first three, the parable of the tares and the wheat, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, they all have one overarching theme. And the theme is about corruption can be nested in the midst of kingdom influence, kingdom growth, and in kingdom community. Therefore, we have to take heed we have to make sure that we come to a place of um, um, having watch. And, and when we talk about having watch, we are extolling the virtues of sobriety and vigilance. We have to come to a place where we don't sleep. 
And I keep on mentioning that when we talk about don't sleep, it doesn't mean that when it's nighttime, you shouldn't sleep. But we are talking about don't lose your sense of sobriety and vigilance. Otherwise, in the midst of kingdom growth, in the midst of kingdom influence and trying to form a kingdom community, you'll be surprised to find evil lurking in the midst of that. And that's why the parables of the tares and the wheat, mustard seed, and of the yeast is given to Bachelor points. The parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl goes on to explain to us the cost at which Jesus came to make salvation a free thing. Salvation is free not because it's cheap. Salvation is free because it was paid at someone's expense and on someone's accounts. Salvation came at the cost of redemption. And for redemption to happen, it came at the price of blood. You know, sometimes we say that some things are free. In this life, sometimes generally when we say some things are free, we might want to say it's cheap. But in, in our case, when we talk about salvation, it's free not because it's cheap. It's free because it has been paid for. Amen. So the parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl, those are the lessons we learn. That, that, that Jesus compared himself to a master who would go at great lengths just to go for a, a treasure or to go for, in this case, a pearl. And all that he will have to do, sell everything. You know, it talks about the expense at which that happens. So that, that speaks to us about salvation. Then last week, the parable of the dragnet, it came to highlight to us that there is an event called the end of the age. And one cardinal feature of the end of the age is when we will experience divine separation. We will experience divine separation. And from this parable, we learn from how the fishermen, the, the, the fishermen, I'm sorry, when they cast their nets, and when the net is full, when they bring it out, they sort out a lot of rubble from fish that can be consumed. They, 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 they sort out perishables from consumables. They sort out what is profit and what is loss. And that action is being compared to when the angels of the Lord will separate the saved from the unsaved, the righteous from the unrighteous. So last week, what we learned was that there is actually going to be an event called judgment, and it's going to happen at the end of this age. And when it happens, one of the cardinal features is a divine separation. Amen. So today we go to our seventh and final parable in Matthew chapter 13. And from here, we will move on to uh, another chapter or another book where we will look at the last four parables. Amen. So go with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 to 52. Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 to 52. Matthew chapter 13. I believe by now we are there, verses 51 
to 52. A simple parable, I believe. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, that, verse 52, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Amen. Now, I like verse 51 because verse 51 lets me understand the passion of Jesus as a teacher. And for someone who is privileged by God to have the responsibility of ministering the word of God, this is something that I personally take a cue from. Jesus was not just interested in covering his material. He was not just interested in content creation or content delivery. He was also interested in the comprehension and the perception of what he had delivered to his disciples. So after he had taken them through a massive teaching, he wanted to inquire whether they understood all that he had said. And from Matthew chapter 13, we've looked at all the parables. This is the last parable we are looking in this chapter. He wanted to inquire of their understanding. He wanted to know their comprehension and their perception because Jesus was not just given stories. He was given spiritual truths which were laced in parables. He, want, he wanted to know not just their comprehension, but also their spiritual perception of spiritual things. They said to him, yes, Lord, we understand. As that, well, that they responded in the affirmative, yes, Lord. That means they understood the parables that Jesus shared with them. Uh, they didn't feign understanding because if they have feigned understanding, Jesus would have called them out. Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus is also God. He's the omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So if these people were feigning understanding, Jesus would have called them out. But I believe that these disciples came to a place of understanding. And this really blessed me. The reason why it blessed me is you, you have to look at the state of the disciples. You know, when Jesus called these people to be his disciples, they were just ordinary men, very disconnected from the truth of God's word, very disconnected from the divinity of Christ, very disconnected from spiritual truth. But with time and with working with Jesus daily, their understanding gradually became enlightened. So the state in which Jesus was asking them this question was better than before. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about in terms of grasping certain spiritual truths. So this really blesses me. It encourages me to walk with Christ on a daily level. Walk with Christ daily. Because 
When we work with Christ daily, we enlighten our understanding of divine concepts in Scripture. And such is the case with the disciples. These disciples were not spiritual. These disciples, even before Jesus even met them, we don't know their spiritual standing. Of course, they are Jews and they cannot boast that we are children of Abraham. But how, how devout were they in their devotion to God? But after they have worked with Jesus for a period of time, their understanding is gradually being enlightened to grasp certain spiritual concepts and spiritual truths. So the thing that we have to get here is that when we take time to work with Jesus daily, when we make it our utmost priority that the main thing in Christianity is to fellowship with God, our understanding will be enlightened. It will be enlightened to the place that we will be able to gain understanding, we will be able to have comprehension of divine truths and, and things of God. But what I see here is that in, in our context is that many people want to experience enlightenment of divine concepts, but they want to bypass fellowshipping with God. You will see some people, they will say, I'm a truth seeker. I'm a truth seeker because, quote unquote, I, I want to understand divine concepts. You will see many people who, who, are, who are just not happy. They are not satisfied. Like, okay, I get it. I got the money. I have everything. But there is something beyond this dimension. Three-dimensional world. There is a fourth that Many people believe in a fourth dimension. We live in a three-dimensional world. Many people believe there is a fourth dimension. Many people believe there is something unseen. Many people who are not even Christians have come to an intelligent recognition of there is a spiritual dimension, something that is beyond this three-dimensional world. But many people in their quest for searching for truth, they want to bypass fellowship with God. Look at these disciples. These disciples were disconnected. Have you forgotten Peter? Peter, when he saw the miracle of the nets being filled with fish to the point that the nets was breaking and, and Peter's boats and his partner's boats were sinking to the point that they needed help. The Bible says that after this miracle, he told Jesus, depart from me for I am an unclean man. I am a sinner. So that should let you know Peter's state. And then now here, Peter now is confident, bold, able to work with Christ to the extent that now the eyes of his understanding are being enlightened and now he's able to understand certain spiritual truths. Jesus is asking, do you understand? He said, yeah, we do. And how do they understand? By working with Christ, having fellowship. I tell you, there is, there is profits when we make it a priority to work with God. There is a blessing when we make it a priority that daily fellowship with God. When we make it that priority, there is a blessing. 
And one of the many blessings, there are so many blessings I can enumerate that I will not even have time. But one of the many blessings is our understanding and the comprehension of certain divine truths. Truths like who is God. Truths like the divinity of Christ. Truths like the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Truths like what prayer can do in the life of a believer. Truths like the sacrament of the Holy Communion. It's fellowship with God. The more you fellowship with God, truths like justification, righteousness, sanctification, holiness. Is it there are certain divine truths? The more you fellowship with God, the more your understanding will be enlightened to grasp these truths. And they make a huge difference in our Christian work with God. So if we want to come to a place where, quote-unquote, we are true seekers, we don't have to bypass fellowship with God. What I see sometimes is that people will bypass fellowship with God and they will go and buy certain books. And unfortunately, many of these people buy a lot of books by wrong authors and, and they go so far into the deep end. And by the time they are, you realize they are so distant and so far away from Christ, all in the name of searching for truth. If you really want to know truth, it's fellowship with God. These disciples, look at the state in which Christ found them in. Now they are able to grasp heavenly concepts, divine ideas, because of fellowship with Christ. They work with Christ. So when we fellowship with Christ, it enlightens our understanding. It gives us the ability to gain insights into certain truths. Even look at your life. You may have been able to understand a thing or two because of fellowship with God. Is that not so? It is. Amen. So walking with Christ daily enlightens our understanding. Amen. There is no trick around it. You can't bypass fellowship with God to understanding truth. Amen. Now, he gave them one last parable about a householder, a householder or a house owner, right? Who brings out of his treasure old and new. He likened the householder to a scribe. And the meaning of the word scribe in this context is a bit nuanced. Why, why do I say that? Because generally, the word scribe, even in the Greek, or even generally, even in English, it refers to a religious leader or teacher, which is correct. But Jesus was rather referring to his disciples here as scribes. That's why I'm saying that it's a bit nuanced. Because if you look at the surface definition of the word described here, it's talking about a religious teacher or leader. But if you look at this scripture in context, and in what the meaning really infers, it's inferring to a disciple. Now, let's read verse 52 in another translation. It will make it clear. So I want to read Matthew chapter 13, verse 52 in NIV. Matthew 13. 
There's 52 in NIV. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom new treasures as well as old. So from this passage, Jesus expects two things from this passage I just read. One, Jesus expects every disciple to grow to a place where they can teach others. I like the NIV. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom new treasures as well as old. So from this passage, Jesus expects every disciple to grow to a place where they can teach others. Two scriptures to support this. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. When Jesus wrote, or when Jesus said this, who were his audience? He was talking to disciples. Go then and make disciples of all the nations. How do you make disciples? You make disciples by teaching. That's why in the King James Version, it uses the word, go ye therefore and teach. Go then and make disciples. You make disciples by teaching. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 20 teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you all the days until the end of the age. So, Jesus is expecting every believer to grow into a disciple. And the evidence of you becoming a disciple is not just to be conformed to the image of Jesus, but also to be able to transmit kingdom truths, especially to new converts, to weak people, so that they will grow in the image of Christ. That is Christ's MO. So Christ expects every disciple to grow to a place where they can teach others. Now, this is different from standing in the office of a teacher completely. But every believer has a gift to teach. Every believer. We have to come to a place where, as believers, we grow to a place of discipleship where we can take new converts, weak people, people who are vaccinated, and then just teach them the gospel. Teach them sound doctrine. For example, you should be able to let people understand who is the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? This is not just a pastor's job. This is a believer's job. 
Because if Jesus had committed the Great Commission to only pastors, there is just a few people that will be saved. The, the workforce is every believer. And you don't just have to be a believer. You have to grow from believing to being a disciple, conforming into the image of Christ. That is what it means to be a disciple. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. Now, we all don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. It's unknown. So this unknown author, who are his audience? Who is he writing this epistle to? He's writing this epistle not to pastors, not to apostles. He's writing this to Jewish believers who are scattered abroad. And he's telling believers that for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So the unknown author is not talking to pastors and he's not talking to church workers. He's talking to Believers, every believer has to grow to the place where you can teach others. That's real growth. It's not about just growing into the image and the likeness of Christ as a disciple, but you also have to take further responsibility to the place where you can teach people the word of God. That's what makes me happy. Because when I see that, I see scripture. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who are by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is talking to us about spiritual maturity. So according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, if you haven't come to a place where you are able to teach somebody about the word of God, answer questions that somebody may, uh, may have, you might not be fully there in terms of spiritual maturity. There is still some growth. One litmus test of spiritual maturity is not just experiencing the image of Christ in conformity, but it's also the ability to teach and make disciples. Because that's how you make disciples. Disciples make disciples. You make a disciple by teaching, taking your time to explain divine concepts of the word, divine concepts of the kingdom. That's how you make a disciple. Amen. So, Christ expects every disciple to grow to a place where they can teach others. The second thing that we learned from the scripture we just read in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52 in NIV, 
Every teacher has to be a disciple first. That's why this particular parable, Jesus is not really talking to the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders were not disciples. And for you to be a disciple, you have to humble yourself and sit down under the teachings of Christ. And the people that we know who received the teachings of Christ were his disciples. So before you can call yourself a teacher, you have to be a disciple first. It's not just about ability. It's also about character formation. Because it makes your witness potent. Do you know that you can be anointed and then iniquity can also be found in you? Just yesterday, I was just reading that scripture. I'm like, wow, anointing and iniquity became bedfellows. How do I know that? Ezekiel chapter 28. The Bible talks about Lucifer. The Bible says that you are the anointed cherub. You were perfect in all your ways. And I believe verse 15, until iniquity was found in you. But I thought he was anointed. I thought he was anointed. He was anointed. He was the anointed cherub. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 40. He was the anointed cherub, yet iniquity was found in him. So please, it's not only about ability. It's also about character formation. So yes, Christ wants us all to come to a place where we will have the ability, the grace, the anointing to be able to disciple others. But at the same time, every teacher has to be a disciple first. And sometimes it's a travesty. When you've done church work for some time, sometimes it's a travesty. You see people who are so much in a hurry to do ministry, so much in a hurry to preach, so much in a hurry to launch out and let people see their gifts and their grace and their callings and their talents without character formation. And sometimes if you're a pastor, you have to be very strong with such people. And sometimes if you don't take care, they will label you like, oh, you sit on people's giftings and everything. But there's no character formation. It's no character formation. You have to be a disciple first. Every teacher has to be a disciple first. Jesus said it. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like, you have to be a disciple. You have to grow in the image and in the likeness of Christ. You have to be conformed to the image of Christ. You have to be a disciple. Sometimes we can be so misled by giftings and abilities, but we have to talk about character. Character is of necessity. You have to be a disciple. I understand you can pray, but you have to be a disciple first. 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 
So Christ expects every disciple to grow in a place where they can teach others. That's the first lesson we learned from Matthew 13, verse 52 in NIV. And number two, Christ expects every teacher to be a disciple first. So don't bypass process. Before you come to a place where you can make disciples of others, make sure that you yourself are a disciple first. Amen. Let me recommend Minister Lily's message on the Great Commission. It's on our podcast. So please go to our podcast. Type the search column, Minister Lily. A message will come up. The title is The Great Commission. I believe she preached this message early last year. So probably you might have to scroll down to maybe 2022, maybe somewhere January, January, February. She talked a lot about these things. I was blessed by her message because she explained that discipleship is not just for the five-fold ministry, but it's for every believer. She did a very great job. And, and explained it very well with scriptures and everything back in it. So please listen to that message on the Great Commission and you will get more meat from that. Amen. So the end goal of Jesus' parables was not just to highlight the kingdom of God, but his disciples will also become scribes who will preach the kingdom of God plainly to their audience. Amen. So let me give you this side notes. You are not just to receive teachings, preachings, exhortations, just to encourage you, comfort you, and bless you. Thank God. All those things are good. But the reason why you are being exposed to preachings, teachings, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, first Saturday of the month, some special programs in between, the reason why you're exposed to all these things, ladies and gentlemen, the end goal of all these messages is that these messages should transform us to be a disciple or a follower of Christ. So the reason why Jesus was given all these fanciful allegories and, and imageries well, it's not just to tickle the fancy of the disciples. It's that they will grow into the image of him and become truly his disciple. And then once they become disciples, then they can disciple new converts in their faith by teaching them the word of God. That's why in Matthew 28, he gave them the last commandment that go into all the world and teach Make disciples. Why could Jesus say that authoritatively? Because he had given them the word. So when we come to church, we don't just receive the message so that it will comfort us. We don't just receive the message so that it will bless us. We need to be blessed and thank God that the word does that. We need to be comforted. Thank God the word will comfort us. We need to be encouraged. Thank God that the word will encourage us. It will do all those things and do much more. But after all is said and done, the word is supposed to transform us. It's supposed to have an inner working in us that we will become truly like Christ. And when we have grown, 
when we have this character formation of Christ, the next step is that we are to teach or we are to make disciples of others. And how do you make disciples? By teaching. So this is why Jesus has given the parable. He wasn't given the parable to let people know, I'm a cat above your religious leaders. His 12 that he had, he wanted to change them. He wanted to shape them. He wanted to form them in the image. So he had to keep on preaching the word to them. And, and once they are formed and they grow up into the image and likeness of him, then they can also in that same power, in that same anointing, go forth and minister to others. That's why when Jesus was living, he looked at Peter. I said, Peter, do you love my sheep? Feed my lambs. Why, why would Jesus tell Peter that? Because he had given him the word. Instances like this, he had given them the word. In one sitting, I don't know how many hours that was, but he gave them seven powerful parables. In the parables, it's the word of God given. So anytime we have an opportunity to come as an assembly and whatever activity takes place, is for us to grow in the image and the likeness of Christ and that we will also become disciples of men and women. Amen. Now, back to the parable. Jesus declared something very important. He said that every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. A householder is house owner, master of the house, owner, what have you. Okay. Now, if you do remember, I made an important footnote on the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God in Matthew. I said that they are the same. It's just a word play. So generally, the kingdom of heaven is a place. The kingdom of God is a system. But in the book of Matthew, they are used interchangeably. So the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. I have, I have made these footnotes a lot of times. Do we all understand that? They mean the same thing. So Jesus likens his disciples who have been instructed in the ways of the Lord to a house owner who brings out of his storage new items and old items. So sometimes when I, when I look at this, I picture a kitchen and I picture a wife. I don't, okay, maybe the wife is the house owner. It's, it's likely we can't say so. But in the kitchen, there are different utensils. Some are new, some are old. The old utensils are integrated with the new utensils to serve its purpose in the house. And Jesus is saying that anybody who has been instructed in the ways of the kingdom is like a house owner who brings out of his storage new items and old items. So the old here refers to the law or the Old Testament. The new here refers to Christ's teachings, which initiated the New Testament. So every disciple of Christ, for you to be an effective discipler of men, for you to be an effective teacher, 
you should be able to integrate the New Testament with the Old Testament to rightly divide the word of truth. Do we all get it? For you to be an effective discipler, for you to be able to effectively teach new converts, people who are backslidden in the faith and so on, we should be able to integrate the New Testament with the Old to rightly divide the word of truth. So when I, when I say this, I am also by no means saying mixture. Well, this is different from mixture. And if you do remember, when we started this series, the first parable we ever touched was on mixture. You can't put old wine into new wine skin. You can't put new wine into old wine skin. Talking about mixture. That means you can't practice certain laws under Moses in the New Testament era. Things like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You can't practice it in this New Testament dispensation where grace has taken place where mercy has taken place, where what God instructs us to do is to pray for our enemies. And you are bringing the law of Moses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's like you are putting old wine in new wine skin. You can't put old wine in new wine skin or new wine in old wine. You either put old wine in old wine skin, new wine in new wine skin. Otherwise, if you keep mixing it, it will burst. So that's what I would say. So we are not talking about mixture. But to be an effective teacher at discipline, it requires diligent study. It requires diligent study. So for example, if you want to teach, you, you don't just read, let's say the scripture is in the New Testament. You don't just look at all the references in the New Testament. You should be able to look at the old and the new to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And the word rightly divide the word of truth means to cut like a surgeon. Amen. So let me, let's read the scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, AMPC, Amplified Classic. Study and be eager. Do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing, accurately dividing. That is to rightly handle and skillfully teach the word of truth. So when we come to a place of discipleship. The onus now falls on us to teach. But to teach, we have to do it responsibly. We have to do it in the integrity of the word. And this is the onus that falls on us. We have to do our utmost to present ourselves to God. You know the reason why many believers don't teach? Because they say it's hard, and it is hard. 
I'm not going to say it's easy. It is hard. That is why if you have not involved yourself in the discipleship process whereby you are growing in the image and the likeness of Christ, you can't do this. You just can't. It's hard. Because to rightly divide the truth, word of truth, means you have to look at the old and the new, correctly analyze, and then skillfully teach it. To form a doctrine, you need to look at the Old and New Testaments to bring out a sound conclusion. That's what it means. You don't just look at the Old. You have to look at the Old and the New. Because the Old and the New, they are intertwined. They work hand in hand. You can't pit the Old against the New. You can't pit the New against the Old. They work hand in hand. So for you to bring a, a point to a logical conclusion, you have to be able to look at both testaments and then cut, rightly divide, like a surgeon. You cut, you bring it in the middle, and you draw your conclusion. You just don't feed on one testament to effectively disciple a convert. That's, that's not good. I once heard a preacher said something dangerous. He said, I only read the New Testament. And he said he starts from Acts to Jude. And when he finishes, he goes back. Acts to Jude. Man, and it, it was it's something that he says very often. I, 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 look, I became very worried. Like, man, this is not sound. Like, that's all. He reads from Acts to Jude. And he said a lot of things that I don't even want to get into. But, but the fact that he's cherry-picking, like, wow, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And he calls himself a teacher of the word. You can't call yourself a teacher of the word according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, if you are not prepared to do the work of rightly, skillfully analyzing and accurately dividing the word of truth. The New Testament, the reason why the New Testament is valid and authentic is because it gets its reference from the Old Testament. Apostle Paul, do you know how he got the new, most of the New Testament? He said by revelation in Arabia. But do you know why we could take that version and we could take those words and canonize it and say it's the New Testament? Because it compared every vision, every scripture sensation that he had with the Old Testament. Every New Testament concept or virtue has its origins in the Old Testament. So everything, every vision, everything that Apostle Paul said he had, whatever, uh, angel visited him, whatever, that, that he was able to get this gospel of grace. Thank God for that. But Apostle Paul, a wise man, wise student, he compared everything with the Old Testament. And that makes it valid. The Old Testament, on the other hand, you can't explain it accurately in the spirit of Christ 
without looking at the New Testament. That's why the New Testament is needed. Because without the New Testament, you will find it difficult to explain the Old Testament in the spirit of Christ. So they both need each other. And for you to become an effective discipler, you have to learn how to take both testaments, rightly analyze, skillfully divide the word of truth, and then teach it. I recommend my series that I did on our podcast some time ago called How to Read and Study the Bible. Please listen. I did cover a whole lot in great detail on that. Amen. So from today's teaching, the word of God is to grow us that we conform to the image of Christ. That is the heart of discipleship. So each and every day, if we call ourselves believers, we should be looking more like Christ. We should be resembling Christ. Then secondly, a disciple makes other disciples by teaching the word of God. And that is painstakingly through diligent study of God's word. Amen. So there's it. I think that's all I have to share for today. If if I say I'm going to talk about this, we will just keep on rambling because it's something I'm very passionate about. And anything that you are passionate about, you have a lot of words for it. So let me just end here for the brevity of time. Any questions, contributions are welcome in the next few minutes before we close. God bless you. Awkward silence. Let's not let the clock just tick like that. If you have any questions, let's talk. If you have any contribution, if you've learned something, uh, you could say something. Amen. And please do listen to the two messages I referred on our podcast. The Great Commission by Minister Lily and How to Read and Study the Bible by a certain Stephen of Oriabidi. Okay. Okay, um, good evening, everyone. Evening. So I try to put the link. So I put the link to the podcast there. I don't think that I, not that I don't think that's not the correct episode, but it will bring you to the podcast so that you could look for that particular message. Um, I was looking through here and I'm I'm actually having a hard time trying to find it, but um, to uh, for for what we learned this evening, um, the one thing that just stood out for me. I mean, I, you know, we I think as leaders we know that, but it's just one thing that just really really stood out to me it was just about character and integrity, um, and um, how important it is, no matter what you do, just even as a, a Christian. Uh, that you, you know, you want to walk in the spirit, you want to be spirit filled, you desire the greater gifts, as the Bible says, um, of God, 
but not leaving behind character and integrity. Um, I have seen so many Christians, they are spirit-filled, they are full of anointing, but uh, you don't want to be their friend. You don't want to be next to them. You don't want to learn from them because their character just speaks something different. And so uh, I, I think that that is really, really spot on. And in our minds, like even in my mind, the two don't mix. Like how can somebody be spirit-filled and anointed and have lack character and integrity? But um, it is truly possible. We've seen many men of God fall um, for this reason because they wanted to be spirit filled, but then they lacked on the la- character and integrity. And nobody, that's the thing. Nobody really tells you that per se. Nobody teaches that. Nobody talks about that part. And then the person who gets hurt is the person who fell. And then the person they hurt, people they hurt in addition. And so I think it kind of defames the name of God in, in a sense. Um, because we're not getting that full example. So I just wanted to stress that I think that that's why I, it keeps like coming back to my head because it's so, so important. Amen. Amen. Uh, Felicia, your statement is incomplete. Is it the spirit of the, is, is it the spirit of God that makes a letter D? I don't know. You wanted to say something. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I was asking to be a disciple. Is it the spirit of God that makes you become a disciple? Because it's kind of hard. Okay, all right. Is it a spirit of God that makes a disciple? Seven fifty-eight. All right. Who 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 has a one-minute answer? Let's let's just scratch it in one minute and then we will tackle it full blown next week. Um, I think no. Uh, a disciple is somebody who sits under teaching. And anybody who says that they believe in Jesus Christ becomes can become spirit-filled, but it doesn't make you a disciple. A disciple is somebody that sits under teaching that's just my understanding that's just how i understand it like you can't you can't have somebody who says oh i believe in jesus and i believe in christ and then not sit under the teaching of jesus what about um, john 663 the words that i speak unto you they are spirit and life all right, it's eight o'clock. We'll, we'll, we'll tackle all, we'll tie all loose ends next week. Amen. We'll tie all loose ends. So next week, seven o'clock, I'm going to tackle this question. Seven o'clock. All right, seven o'clock. Seven five, I'll start teaching. So please, let's all come early. Seven o'clock, we are going to tackle this conundrum. Is it the spirit of God? That makes a disciple. Seven o'clock, make a day with me. We'll be here. We tackle it. I want to believe God that in the next five minutes, we should be done. And then seven five, we get to the meat of our discussion. All right. God bless all of you. 
Uh, please remember tomorrow we are praying. We are still in the midst of our 21-day prayer. Tomorrow we meet at 7.30, not 7 o'clock, 7.30 to 8. So let's kindly take note of the time and let's do well to attend and pray in this month of our friends and family. Thank you, Lord, for explaining to us the truths that we have received from your word tonight. And Father, we pray that may we grow more into the likeness and into the image and conform to you, O Lord, and of a truth. May we come to the heart of discipleship where we will come to a place where we will also disciple others by teaching. Give us all grace to be diligent in our study and may we have that fortitude to, to explain your word in the integrity of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you all for attending. And I'll see all of you tomorrow. Good night.